Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Father God, we thank You for this morning. God, we thank You. Lord, we thank You so much for the provision that You have made in our nation for life, for the unborn. God, I, I thank You, and I praise You, God, and I, I hope that the numbers year after year of the millions and millions of unborn babies whose lives are ended, God, that that number is just drastically changed over the next coming years. God, and life will be celebrated. But within that, God, I pray that we as the church would see our responsibility to step into the life of those who feel like they have no options. God, let the church become a beacon of hope in those situations. God, let the church become a, a resource as we should be. A resource for life, a resource for hope. And Father God, I pray as we get into your word this morning, God, that you would begin to shape our desires, God, to see who it is that you are and what it is that you want to do in the life of believers here in New Quincy, Louisiana, and all over our city and our nation. God, we just love you. God, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Listen, all those things we say this morning, you know, if you, if you know of things, know of resources, you have ideas, man, we are so open to hearing those things out. And listen, if, if you would, you know, ever, if I ever say anything that seems unclear or that you don't agree with, let's talk about that too. But, you know, I, I just want us to be able to be the people that God has called us to be. And, you know, as we continue this study, as we talk about under, misunderstood scripture and what that looks like, you know, the whole kind of idea of this is to see that if scripture is taken out of context or misunderstood, then we're missing the depth and the gravity at which it brings to our life. You know, and you know, we've covered several different scriptures up to this point. And this verse this morning, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I've heard spoken about in a lot of different ways and maybe you have too. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, when we define the word desires, because that's kind of the key word in this, because when we read it on the surface level, we're like, man, that sounds great. Right. If I love God, delight in God, that he will give me the desires that are within my heart. Like, man, that is what I want. So when we think about desires, what are we talking about in desires? Well, the word desires can be defined as this strong feelings of wanting of or wishing for something. So we desire a lot of things. Like if you think of, you know, throughout your day to day, like you desire certain things to eat. Sometimes you desire to take a nap. Sometimes we desire to go to bed. Sometimes we desire to watch something on TV or on Netflix or whatever it might be. And those desires within us motivate us in those particular directions, right? If I'm desiring Mexican food, I'm going to seek after Mexican food, right? It's, it's these, these desires and sometimes those things are very specific in very specific directions. And so when this this verse is quoted typically, it's interpreted as an affirmation of God wanting to give me what I want and what I desire for myself and for my situation. So when we read the verse and we say, "Commit, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, we see it as this transactional thing, right? It's like, if I love God, then God's going to give me what I love. He's going to give me what I want. And so typically that's how our mind goes with that. And some other translations even kind of uh, translate it that sounds even more like that than what I believe David is truly writing to. 
And so when we think about this idea of what I want, of what I desire, we have to kind of take a step back and we have to remember. We have to remember that there's a problem. There's a problem with our hearts. There's a problem with our desires, right? And we talk about this a lot, but there's a problem with our own desires. And the problem is this, and the Bible speaks of this a few, few other times. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this about our heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're kind of talking about the inner being of a person, of what drives us, what, what motivates us, what uh, identifies us. You know, this internal kind of uh, space within us, our soul. And so Jeremiah says this when he's speaking to the people of God. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, or some translations would say wicked. Who can understand it? You know, so if we're being driven by our hearts or the in, inner, innermost being of who we are, and the Bible is telling us, Jeremiah is telling us, per God, that it is deceitful, does it seem like it's the best thing to trust our own desires? Right? Is it best to be led, to be identified, to be guided by our heart or the inmost being of who we are if it is deceitful above all things? And, and, and that, that word there, all things, it just brings about this idea that, I mean, it is the most deceitful thing about us is the innermost being of who we are that drives us. And that it's not only deceitful, but it's wicked. You know, and the argument from most people outside of Christianity is that people are inherently good. But the reality is, when left up to our own devices, when it comes to, to fight or flight, right? When it comes to uh, survival of the fittest that are all outside kind of of the Christian thought process, that's not the case. Typically, we're going to do what we need to do to preserve ourselves. Typically, we're going to do what we think we need to do for our own and so when we're being driven by our own desires, our own, in, our own hearts, the, the innermost being of who we are, not only is it deceitful, but it's sick, it's infected with a disease, and we know that that disease is sin that drives us to selfishness. And Jeremiah says, who can understand it? Who can wrap their mind around it? How can we grab a hold of this deceitful desires that live within us. Matthew 15 verse 19 says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. And even as a Christian, if we're honest with ourselves, man, we have some wicked thoughts, right? I mean, and maybe you're better than me, I don't know, but my mind can go to some pretty crazy spaces, and those evil thoughts, they lead to actions. Those desires within us lead to actions. Every uh, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness or lying or slander or you know, gossiping about people, all of these things come from these evil thoughts that swell up from within our hearts when left to ourselves, when left to our own desires. And so, and Paul even talks about this. You know, Paul, kind of the heavy hitter of Christianity and evangelism, all those things in Romans 7, verse 18 through 20. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. That, that space that is separate from God, that just is, is, is welling up within us. He says, There's nothing good in me, that I'm not good on my own. He says, for I desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
I love that because I feel like this is as Christians where we find ourselves a lot of place, a lot of times is within this space where we want to do good. We want to do right. But when we're depending on ourselves, when we're leaning into our own space, we do not have the ability to carry it out. He says, for I do I, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It says now. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Church, our hearts, our own desires are deceitful. Jeremiah tells us that they're sick, they're infected. And even when we can't truly nail down what it is that we're wanting, trying to tell us, Church, the reality is only God can truly know our hearts. It is deceitful in who can know it. We can't know our hearts, but God knows our hearts. And so that's why God is the only source that is reputable enough to give us what we need. And so when we read this verse, so if our desires are deceitful, then this verse in, in uh, Psalm 37.4 can't mean that these desires are the desires of my own heart that are natural to me. These desires have to be something from outside of me. So this verse does not saying that he gives me what I desire, but it means something else. And so what I want us to see here this morning is this. So if our desires are deceitful, and so the question we ask ourselves is, how do we line up with God's will and follow his leadership? How do we live according to what God is calling us to if our innermost desires aren't for God. And so the reality is this, is that his desires must become our desires, which is what this verse is speaking of. When this verse says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, he's not saying, and this is where we must begin to think differently about this verse, is that this verse does not tell us that God will give me what I desire. That this verse is actually saying, and we should read it as, God will give me what to desire. That when we are connected to, leaning into the life and, 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 and uh, praying to God, seeking after God, and, and developing that relationship that with God, that God will begin to impart to us, give to us, fill us up with the desires that we need to have that are good for us and good for the kingdom of God, not from what is naturally built within us. And that's the beautiful thing about God is that God does not abandon us to figure this out on our own. And so when we think about trying to line our desires up with a holy God, we know that God has not let us go off on our own to try to figure this out. Because unless our desires match his desires, we will miss his work in and through our lives. And so the question is, how do we, how do we line our desires up with his desires so that his desires become our desires? The cruel God would leave us to ourselves, but God reaches down, creating a connection with his creation to give us the strength and grace we need to enjoy the desires he has for us. And I love how David would write later on in Psalm, reminding the people here. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then he tells them, he tells them, he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So what is David doing here? He's given us the direction that we need to find his desires and the disciplines we need to remain there. 
And the context of Psalm 37 really shows us how we get to that point and then how we keep that place. How we get to the point where we begin to line our desires up with God's, that our desires become his desires and not that he's given us what I want, but he's given me what to want. He's given me what I want for my family, what I want for my spouse, what I want for my church, what I want for the life that I'm living that isn't from within me. Because my own desires for my family, for my relationship, or even for the church, for me as an individual, sometimes those things don't line up with what God wants for me. If we're really honest with ourselves and, and we would wonder to ourselves, how could I or how could someone as a husband or a wife ever get to the point where they see certain options come up? You know, we'd even say, well, how could someone even come to the point where they believe their only option is to kill their unborn child? It's because our desires don't line up with what God's desires are for us. We need something outside of us that influences those things. And so God's word tells us, Psalm 37 itself tells us how we begin to line our desires up with God so that we can inherit, begin to be indwelt with the desires God has for us so that when we look into our relationships, when we look into the spaces around us, we can have clarity about how to deal with those situations, how to engage in those situations, how to lead our families, how to evangelize the people around us, and how to serve God in the spaces that He's placed us. And so David, David gives us that direction. And we'll start in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 37. What does he say there? He says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And so the first thing he does, the first thing he tells us, the direction that we go to line up with God to begin to inherit his desires is first, fret not. He says, don't worry. Listen, and that's easier said than done, but there's something very specific that he tells us not to worry about. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. He says, don't get distracted. Don't get anxious about the work of the enemy. Specifically, the power and the persuasion the enemy uses to distract us in our life. Because that's what the enemy does. Remember, the enemy comes into our lives. He comes into our spaces. He comes into our, our spiritual life even and begins to try to distract us from the direction that God has called us to when we're considering maybe as a husband leading your spouse and your family spiritually or, or serving in the church or evangelizing the people that you work with. Whatever that looks like is that the enemy comes in and he begins to incite anxiety, begins to incite worry, begins to incite doubt in those spaces where God is trying to empower you to work. The enemy is trying to distract you from being able to accomplish that work. And so what does he say? He says, fret not. The way we begin to line our desires up with the holy God is we stop worrying about what the enemy can do against us. He says, fret not about the wrongdoers. Fret not about what they're doing. And what, else, what does he say? He says, not only don't worry about them, but don't be envious of them. Because a lot of times we get envious of the people outside of Christianity because we feel like that is the path of least resistance. Right? We're like, this world, this social view, this worldview, this moral view, whatever it might be, that if I just live according to this, it's going to be an easier path. So... I want that because it's easier on me. It, it, it seems happier. It seems more comfortable. But what does he say? Listen, the way we begin to line ourselves up with God, first off, we're not going to worry about the enemy's power against us. But second off, we're not going to envy, worry to the point where we allow ourselves to be envious of the way that they live life, of the lifestyle, of the moral code, or whatever it might be, the social outlook that they have. The Bible tells us this, don't be envious of that. And why? 
Why? Why not worry with that? Why not be consumed by what the world wants from us or what the world wants you to do or the, the code of conduct that the world wants you to live by? Because he says here in, in verse 2, he says, that it'll soon fade like grass and wither. He says, listen, it's empty. And even what you think you're grabbing a hold of is only going to fade away over time and you're going to lose grip of it. That even though the things God has called us to the things God has called us to live by, the, the paths that He's called us to walk, even though they're difficult sometimes. You know, I mean, I, 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 and I know some of you maybe are navigating this space too, but even uh, trying to raise, you know, Christian children, disciple Christian children in a non-Christian culture, non-Christian world, like it's difficult. Because when you begin to kind of line these things up and when you begin to compare and, and look at these things, that kind of the outlook and the scope of the journey that's ahead, like it's going to be tough. Like it's going to be it's going to be hard, uh, mostly on our children that are going to be navigating that day to day without us being there. I mean, you know, just thinking about school, our kids will spend more time at school during the week than they'll spend with us. And so they're entering into spaces that are not for them in, in a lot of ways, in most of your situations. We're entering into spaces where the world is not for them. And so how do we navigate that? The first thing he tells us here in, in verse one, fret not, don't worry. Don't be consumed by fear of what the enemy can do. And don't be envious of their direction. And then the second thing he says is this. <clears throat> he says, trust in the Lord and do good. So not only don't worry, fret not, but he says, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord that God will do what he says he's going to do. Trust God that he will carry you through where he says he'll carry you to. Trust the Lord that he will empower you to lead the family the way you need to. Trust the Lord that he will give you the strength you need to stand out in a space where you're different than everybody else. Trust the Lord that he will give you the patience that you need to navigate. Trust the Lord that he will give you the restoration power that you need in your relationship, in your friendship, and whatever it needs to sustain and endure whatever hardship is coming. He says, trust God in what? And do good. Trust God and begin to take steps in the direction. So not only does he say, don't worry about what the enemy's doing, but trust God and then begin to take steps of obedience in the direction of good that God has called us to. This is active things that we're doing to line our, our lives, our desires up with the holy God. It does not happen natural. It does not happen naturally. The Bible even tells us that our hearts, that naturally we do, that none wants God. None wants to do good by our nature. And so to take any good steps in discipling our children and leading our families and doing the work in our community that God has called us to do in the workspace that God has placed you in right now, God says that it's going to come from trusting Him and taking those steps of obedience. Even when the enemy tries to slide into our lives and tries to convince us of something otherwise. And I love that this word trust can also be kind of set in as sure safety. That in God, in Christ Jesus, there is sure safety for us to do good. To do what he has called us to do. To take steps of obedience and where he has called us to take steps. And listen, the thing is, and, and, and uh, we won't deny that trust is hard. Right. Trust is very hard. You know, we talk about all the time that forgiveness is God has called us to forgive that, that we have. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, I believe, is who said it. he says, I forgive the inexcusable and others because God forgave the inexcusable in me. So listen, forgiveness is not something that we can withhold from people. God has called us to forgive. 
But trust is earned, right? Trust is hard. Trust is hard to give. Trust is hard to have. And so when we talk about trusting in the Lord, we understand that this is the hardest thing to develop among each other. And sometimes it takes years to develop this among people and even within our relationship with God, especially with men, because we as men, we tend to be very skeptical about everything. And we see trust a lot of times as vulnerability and weakness. And so we don't want to trust anybody. We want to hold on to everything we can because it's my responsibility to do what God has called me to do. Or even separate from God, this is just what I feel that I should be doing as a man. And so we don't trust much. We don't have much vulnerability. We don't have much weakness. We don't let people in. We don't let any of that happen. But the thing is, when it comes to God, we need to understand that God says to trust him in his intentions because his intentions are for good for us, to do good. In Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This is the God of the universe, the mighty warrior God of the universe, having thoughts towards us having thoughts toward, like we talked about a couple weeks ago last time I was here, God leaning into where we are, leaning towards us. God has, has thoughts toward us, as we read in Jeremiah 29, 11. He's thinking toward us, leaning in our direction, and this should motivate us towards good in our relationship to Him and our reaction to the world. And then so he says, fret not, don't worry. Second thing he says is trust and do good. Begin taking steps of obedience as we begin to line our desires up with God. And then the last thing is this. The third thing in lining our desires up with God is this. Delight yourself in the Lord. And I think this is the hardest one. But this is the most vital element to matching the will of God up with who we are and beginning to live by his desires rather than our own is delighting in the Lord. To delight means to find enjoyment in or to find fulfillment in. You know, to be, to be this source, this nourishment, this place that we go to, like this well, like the Bible tells us, that never runs dry. To be the source of life and leadership. But the problem is, the reason why this is the most difficult, but it's also the most vital element to lining our desires up with God. It's because our delight for God and our delight in general is being spread out into so many different directions for, from so many different sources that we're never truly getting the depth of what God has for us because we're finding delight in a lot of different places. We're finding delight from a lot of different sources. You know, and that's where the enemy, if we haven't started at that initial point, you know, because we think about our actions, we think about sin, we think about addictions, we think about all these things. These things aren't the source, right? Addictions, the action of addictions aren't the source. They're a product of a desire, and that desire is a product of what the enemy has convinced us that we need. That's why whenever David writes here in Psalm 37, he says the first thing we have to do is we have to fret not about what the enemy is doing and stop envying what he is telling us we need. Because if we don't deal with that, 
We'll never get to the point where we're delighting in God because if we're not dealing with this, then we're going to delight in what the enemy tells us that we want. We're going to stop, you know, if we need to find comfort, we need to find value, we need to find identity, we need to find uh, uh, importance in our life and find direction in our life. If we haven't first dealt with our envy of the enemy, then the enemy is going to dictate where we delight in. And that delight is going to be in lesser things like he talks about the, that, that wither, that fade. That's why, in a lot of ways, if the enemy is driving us, he convinces us that we need something else and then something else and then something else and then something else instead of allowing God to show us where our delight comes from. Instead, we end up finding our delight in substances. We end up finding our delight in unfaithfulness in our relationships. We end up finding our delight in lesser things as a source of comfort, and we find our delight in, 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 in sexual things and pornography and all those things. We're trying to find nourishment. We're trying to find this source of power and leadership in our lives and, and some sense of control. And we've spread our, out our delight. And then we ask ourselves, why am I not trying? Why am I not finding delight in the Lord? It's because I've spread out my delight amongst all these lesser sources that I can't get into the depths of the delight that God has for me. And so he tells us, delight yourself in the Lord. What he's telling us here is David is telling us to narrow your delight down to one source. He will give us the desires if we begin to fret not, trust in Him, and the delight in Him, He will give us the desires. And what does He say? He will give you the desires of your heart. And these desires that He speaks of, you know, it, it can be said that these desires are what is lawful and what is good. And we cannot know these things separate from Him and His provision and what He wants to do. And so He has called us to have confidence and trust and that He will lead us to delight. Because when we begin, church, when we begin to delight, delight in God, to delight in Him, you know, because when we're talking about, when we talk about not worrying, fretting not, and then we talk about trusting in the Lord and do good, and that second part of verse 3 says to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. He's beginning to get into this point where another way that this could be translated is to, and feed on Faithfulness to feed on faithfulness. The way we trust God and move into a place where we delight in God is to begin to feed on faithfulness. Who and what is the only thing that is truly faithful in our lives? And that is God. Nothing else is going to be as faithful to us, faithful to His promises, faithful to His cause, faithful to the things that He wants to do than it is than God. Everything else will be faithless to us when it finds a better avenue, when it finds a better direction, when it finds a better host, whatever it might be. He says to feed on faithfulness. And then when He talks about delighting yourself in the Lord, and He says He will give you the desires of your heart. God will instill in us what it is that we desire that is best for our families, husbands, that is best for the relationship we have with our wives, students, what is best for your evangelism in the world that you live in to sustain your Christian morals, your Christian character. God will give us the desires that we need, but we only find that when we're delighting in Him. When we're finding our joy, our fulfillment, our satisfaction in Him. And this starts with not worrying about what the enemy is doing, trusting in God and taking steps of obedience and doing good, and feeding on His faithfulness. 
and then delighting in Him. Church, finding our delight in Him leads us. It leads us to what? It leads us to deeper prayers, more fulfilling relationships, more confident leadership. Because when we're delighting in Him and He is giving us the desires that we need, we, be we begin to be motivated by our delight in Him and He is revealing to us the direction we should go. So then how do we, how do we sustain those desires? How do we keep that path? And then, then the next verse, in verse 5, He says this. He says, commit your way. Or another way this is translated is, in everything you do, commit yourself to the Lord. And so this is where we have to understand that God's not limiting us where He's saying commit your way on Sundays to the Lord. That this is the way we sustain. He's not saying that commit your way only in your prayer time or only in your Bible reading time or only in your commute when you're listening to a podcast or listening to worship music. He's saying, not saying to only commit yourself in those things and He's not limiting us to our activities. He's saying in everything you do commit yourself <clears throat> commit yourself to the Lord. And so what does that mean? Listen, there are a lot of people on vacation right now. You know, some of my family are to a baseball game starting in the next 30 minutes. And everything you do, the way that we keep our desires lined up with God is that we don't compartmentalize God to one aspect of our life. That's the problem that we get into in a lot of spaces that we've compartmentalized God to this very specific place where we only engage with God here, where we're not engaging with God in all these other spaces in our life. And I'm not saying that that, that looks a particular way, but what it does mean is that in everything we do, it is evident that God is just invested and imparted into that. That God is a part of that. That God is a part of our job. That God is a part of the way we speak to people at our job. God is a part of the way that we act at our job. That people don't have to question whether we're a Christian based off of how we act in different spaces because we've compartmentalized God to this specific space. But the way we keep our desires and the will of God as our will and our desires is committing ourselves in everything we do, allowing God to invade that space Otherwise, we're leaving it open to vulnerable, vulnerability, vulnerability of the enemy to begin to work in that space. And then we start that process over where we begin to envy. We begin to be affected by the enemy. We begin to lose trust in who God is and what He wants to do with us. Then we begin to lose delight in who He is and what He's doing for us. And so if we can be hold all that together, all that is held together by how we commit ourselves to God. And commitment is an action. Commitment is an active choice that we make. It's not a passive choice. It's an active choice. I have made an active choice to my wife to stay with her through, through life and death. Through, well, I guess through death I'll be gone. But sickness and health, let's start with that. Sickness and health, right? That's the commitment that I've made to my spouse, that you've made if you're married here this morning, to your spouse, that I'm committed. That is an active choice that I make, and I have to make that choice every single day. Through thick and thin, through the good and the bad, that I have to make that choice to be committed. And so for us as Christians, church, our commitment to God is not going to be this passive thing that sustains. Listen, some days you wake up and you could care less about who God is or what God wants to do with you in that moment, right? A long day at work, you come home, you're frustrated, you've had a bad time at work, you come home, the last thing on your mind is what God is doing or what God wants to do in your life. But it's in those moments, church, where we got to shake it off, move into those spaces and be 
making within our, our hearts and within our minds, within our, our spiritual life, a choice to be committed to God in those moments. Making a choice. Choosing to be actively participating in what God is wanting to do with us. And what does he say in the second half of that verse in verse 5? Trust in him and what? Church, and he will act. Or another way that's translated is that he will help you. He will act. That is, this isn't a one-sided thing. But even in the weakness of our commitment, even in the, the frailty of our faith, God says, He will act. And this is where God begins to work in our lives, in the lives of our families. To desire what God desires, church, it first off starts with that commitment that carries an assurance of His work and His care. But then the reality of it is, and you know, the band can start coming up, and we're going to end with worship here shortly, but the reality of it is, is that to, to desire what God desires, church, we must know God. And we can't know God in where we are right now, in our lives. We can't know God if we don't know Christ. God has given us a connection to the Creator through Jesus Christ, through putting our faith in Him, to our putting our trust in Him and what He's doing and what He's done in our lives. And this is what Christ, our commitment to Christ, is what holds our desires to God's desires, that lines our will up with His will, that brings us to this space because we understand that He is the way, the truth, the life, that He is the only way to the Father, the Bible tells us. And this is where for the modern church, or even in our own spirituality, where the, everything we do has to be about this. It has to be about this formation. It has to be about the spiritual disciplines it takes to be committed to, to be focused on who God is and what God is doing through Christ Jesus. We cannot know the desires of God unless we know God Himself through Christ Jesus because desiring anything but ourselves requires us to push our own desires to the side, making room for His in our lives, which is where in John 3.30, when He writes, when He says, He says, He must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist saying, it's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about my reputation. It's not about my comfort. He says, I must decrease and He must increase. Church, before we can begin to line our desires up with God, we first must know know Christ and in knowing Christ we must push ourselves to the side and begin to embrace what it is he has for us this has to be our prayer Christ decrease me and increase you in every space of my life in every space of my mind in every space of my spiritual walk Father God let me see this so that we can begin to pray prayers with confidence Lord your kingdom come your will be done let what you want to happen in my life let what you you want to happen in my spouse in my life happen and let what you want to happen in me leading my children happen and let what you want to happen in my work and in the places that I can evangelize and reaching out to my community inviting people to be a part of the faith family that I'm a part of God let me do those things according to what your will is your kingdom come let it be you church and when we begin to pray the prayers your kingdom come your will be done we're telling Christ Jesus you reign over it all. You reign over it all. Your space, your place, you make it happen. 
You know, in the book of Job, Job's friends didn't give him a lot of great advice in the context of the situation that was going on. But there were some things that they said. There were some, some things that they said that outside of the context of what was happening in Job's life, because they were missing it, they were accusing Job of doing sinful things, and that's why he was navigating the things he was navigating. But some of the things they said are very valuable in reminding us about what we find in the Almighty, as they call it. And so in Job 20, in verse, uh, chapter 22, verses 23 through 30, one of Job's friends speaks this to his life, and I believe that we can find some encouragement from it here as we make application to this verse in Psalm 37, 4, and delighting in God to find His desires and what He wants to do that we can only know that, know God's desires for us and embrace those desires when we know Christ. And so in Job 22, 23 through 30, it says this. It says, if you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. Church, no matter where we are this morning, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, if you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of a fear among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. He says, if you will lay aside all these things that you see as valuable, if you lay aside all these things that you think are sustaining you, you lay aside all these things that you think are important to you. He says, the Almighty will be your gold. The Almighty will be your precious silver. The Almighty will be your valuable asset. He says, for then, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty. So I love the first thing he says there. Is he says, before he says, lay down the silver and the gold, what does he say? He says, return. Listen, God hasn't asked us to lay aside our mess before he invites us to come. He doesn't call us to lay aside the things that have been distracting us, the things we've been depending on, the things that we found comfort and delight in before we come. No, He says, return. He says, return and the Almighty will build you up. And He says, then the Almighty will build you up and give you the strength that you need to begin to lay aside those things you found as valuable so that He will become what is valuable to you. He will become your precious silver. He says, for then... Even if when you come, you don't delight in the Lord initially, he says, for then you will delight in the Lord. You will delight yourself in the Almighty. And then not only will you delight yourself, but will finally, and I remember coming to this point in my own life, you will finally be able to stop hanging your head in shame and disappointment and regret and begin to what? What does he say? Lift up your face to God. Because what did people do in the spaces and in the face of a king and a ruler that they saw themselves as lesser than? What did they do? Did they lift their face up in confidence? No. They got down on their knees and they put their face in the dirt because they saw themselves as unworthy. But what does he say when we come to him and we begin to delight in him with all the mess that we've had and we begin to be built up by the Almighty, he says we will lift our face up to the Lord and look at God with confidence. Not in my ability, but in the fact that the God of the universe has invited me to a table that I have 
not earned, that I have been invited to a space that I'm not good enough to sit, that the cover charge is not even a cover that I paid for myself, but Jesus Christ on the cross paid that debt for me. He says, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. And then you will make your prayer to Him and He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on the matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly and he delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. He delivers even those who are not innocent. Praise God for that. He delivers those who are not innocent because we are not cleansed by our own hands, but we are cleansed by the cleanliness of the hands of God through Christ Jesus. So church, if you're a Christian here this morning, many moments in my life I've had to do this. I encourage you to return. He says, return to the Almighty and you'll be built up. And he says that through that, he'll begin to show us what value we can find in Jesus. Show us what value we can find. We can begin to lay aside all those things that we found value in and begin to find him as our ultimate value. And then he will begin to give us the desires as we begin to delight in him. And then in that, we begin to lift our face and live our Christian life in confidence and without shame, without guilt, but in confidence pray to God that he will hear us and that the things we do for him will be established and that his light will shine the way for us and that we will live in that humility and that he will have delivered us by the cleanliness of his own hands. So church, can we bow our head, close our eyes and begin to pray to this God that as a Christian, God has invited us to return. That if we have not put our faith in Jesus, if you're here this morning, you have not put your faith in the working of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf, paying for your sin, he says, come. And that even the innocent will be set free. That even the innocent will be made new. And that will be made clean, not by the cleanliness of our own hands, but at the cleanliness of Christ on our behalf. Church, can we pray this morning? Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for what you do. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. Father God, I just pray this morning that if there are Christians here, God, that feel like they've been living by their own desires and not taking delight in you. Father God, I pray that we would hear the invitation to return. To return to be built up. To return to find true value in you to return to find delight in you, to return, Lord, to find a prayer life where we engage with you, to find where you're cleaning cleaning us, making us new every day. And God, that if we need to, when we begin to move in that direction, God, we move in that direction by not following the enemy, not fretting or worrying about the enemy, but trusting in you, doing good, feeding on your faithfulness, and then finding our delight only in you, God. And we know that we sustain that by committing to you and knowing that you will act in us, through us, and for us. God, give us your desires. God, let us line up with who you are and what you want to do for us. God, let us not live by our own desires anymore. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name.
church, stand with us and let us sing.